welcome to Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies. And sometimes we just keep it shallow. I'm your host, Megan. I'm Kate. Get ready, because here come the spoilers. Oh, I wanted to map it all out on a timeline just to make sure that I could clarify my own mind. I am not even bothering with the timeline. I'm sure there's some more industrious person on the internet who's done it. I I don't know. Saw 7, I I actually had a really fun time watching it. That's good. Um but, you know, in retrospect, like trying to think about it and trying to talk about it, I I watched it 2 days ago and an hour ago, I was like, what even was the plot to that movie? Like I don't remember what the plot was. I don't know. I didn't. I couldn't remember who the villain was. I couldn't remember who was getting sawed in this movie. It's certainly not Jigsaw anymore. He is not involved. We're so far removed from He's John. Barely in this. I was like, this sucks. There's no Jigsaw. It's just Flappy Lips, Hoffman, and Joel Tuck, who's always crying and hiding in a corner now. So I think I enjoyed it more because (laughs) the first 45 minutes of the movie has very little Hoffman and very little Jill in it. True. Which I was like, I was, I was vibing with it. I was like, yeah, look at these crazy ass traps. And like, okay, so we're getting started. (laughs) We're talking. Clearly. Yeah. We're talking Saw 7. I'm pouring myself some more wine. Also known as Saw 3D, also known, you know, a little presumptuously as Saw the Final Chapter. <laughs> so, you know, Kate, originally they wrote this movie to be two movies. Originally they had planned for a Saw 8, but since Saw, uh, I think it was 5, uh-huh. did so poorly. Was it Saw 5 that did poorly? Saw six. five didn't do that great. It, I forget which. Anyways, I'm I'm a little tipsy right now. That's fine. No one cares. Um, because when I think it was Saw five did so poorly, they were like, "Oh, we are not going to do eight movies." Can you believe that they actually said no? They they like were like we're stopping, and so they stopped at seven for the time being and they combined seven and eight into one movie (laughs) into one horrible frankenstein of a movie it's so bad (laughs) and then seven years later (laughs) although it had you know it had nothing to do with the original that original plot anymore since they worked into this yeah oh it's such a mess oh my gosh nine percent kate nine percent it's really bad. On Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I want to just start. So we, Megan and I chatted for like 90 seconds before we started recording and decided that we're not going to do our normal kind of blow by blow plot breakdown on this. I think we're just going <laughs> to emotionally unpack this movie. <laughs> we are so upset because movie was just like it's supposed to be the summation of this whole series right and it's it's packaged to us this way and you get it and it's like can I return this no no receipt you're stuck with it (laughs) it's so bad there's so much in it that is like 
the worst of the worst of those sci-fi channel movies. This one, though, I mean, I had a fun time watching most of it because this is a 3D movie. This movie came out in like the heyday of 3D when like they weren't just doing it for the immersive experience. They were doing it with like stuff flying towards the screen. (laughs) Like they made, they were like, oh, 3D's out. Let's make a movie that we can squeeze into this genre. They, It's almost like 3D was treated like a genre for a while. You had movies where there was really no business in 3D being involved, but why not? It's fun. And this was definitely one of them. It got 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. I just can't get over that. It's so bad. And yet here I am. I love it. I don't care. (laughs) I'm still going to talk about it. It earned every single point of that 9%. (laughs) (laughs) We should start from the beginning. Okay. At at the trailer. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The trailer. The trailer is so good. (laughs) Good as in bad. Good good. as in bad. Good as in bad. Because (laughs) the trailer is like, it's really just trying to sell audiences on what a 3D film is like. And I'm pretty sure the 3D movies have been out for like years at this point. Since Captain EO. I mean. Oh, sure. At least. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that the trailer just does too much. The trailer is like, oh, look, there's like saws like coming out into the audience. Like the trailer is more about the moviegoers experience than it is about the actual movie. The trailer is like, come watch this movie where blood's going to get in your face, but not really. There's There's even one part in the trailer where a hand comes out of the screen and picks up an audience member and pulls them into the screen. It felt very like Universal Studios. Yes, I was just going to say, it was like, you know, if you were watching it like Guts or not Mm -hmm. Guts, um, Double Dare or Family Double Dare or like what would you do or whatever those old Nick shows were. And they like pull you out of the audience and cover you with slime. Except in this case, it's like, we're going to pull you out of the audience and throw you in a trap. Except that doesn't actually happen. You're just going to sit through this terrible movie. Mm-hmm. The trailer. I love the trailers <laughs> for every single one of these movies. Saw 3D Kate. might be my favorite of all of them. <laughs> Kate. There was a flashback in the trailer. You know, there was. <laughs> You've been watching the trailers um, more diligently than I have. And is this the case in every trailer? Or no. (laughs) No. So the flashback they do in this trailer is they flashback all the way to Saw 1 to the scene at the end with Adam and Gordon in the bathroom. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they did that because Gordon comes back in this one. And so they're like, okay, we have to remind people that nine years ago we released a movie that <laughs> that had Carrie Elwes in it. And because this is the final movie in our series, we're going to try and bring it full circle and like do a flashback. But it just really goes to show like how much they lean on flashbacks in these movies. Yes. Okay. Can we also talk about the crew on this movie? Because there's some stuff to talk about there. Yeah, lay it on me. All right. So 
The writers of this movie were Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. Um, and they joined up with the Saw crew in Saw 4. So they, they've been writing since then, which I think is really when the series started to take a turn for the worst. They also wrote The Collector, Piranha 3D, Pacific Rim. Oh, yeah, their last gig was in 2016. Both of them. <laughs> they they haven't written a screenplay since 2016. And I think this movie really sums up why. It's so fucking bad. The dialogue is particularly egregious in this one. Ugh. I did notice, and this was the thing that made me really happy, was... I realized that they gave Jill and Hoffman very little dialogue this time around. Thank God. They just, I think they realized that Hoffman, not a strong character. Jill, not a super strong actress. Sorry, Betsy Russell. Sorry, Betsy. You look great this movie. It really does. (laughs) You look amazing. (laughs) She did, I think, she did a lot of, um, uh daytime tv which okay. i think she's great for it's great um i don't think she was able to handle the terrible writing in this movie right which is not necessarily her fault yeah i think that but she's yeah. just a victim of the <laughs> writing, and this yeah, writing. <laughs> like, it's so rough this one is particularly rough i i really want these people to come on and let us interview them. And so I like don't want to talk too much shit. But at the same time, it's like this movie just doesn't let up in some ways. They, they're they a little restrained in terms of doling out dialogue to Hoffman and Jill, which is very helpful. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give like a one-sentence summary just so people kind of sure. know where we're at. But I think we're going to just generally kind of glaze over the plot in this one and just like focus on traps. <laughs> There's so many. So Hoffman survived Saw 6. Jill is still alive as well. They're at odds with each other. Doesn't really matter. The main victim in this movie is this guy, Dagan, who is a self-help guru. He goes on talk shows. He's written a book. He's doing a tour who he claims to be a former jigsaw victim. Uh, of course, he's a fraud. He'd never actually been a part of a jigsaw trap. He's just kind of profiting off of this kind of mass hysteria in this city um, over the whole thing. And he gets picked up and put through a series of traps. And that's really all you need to know in yeah. this movie. <laughs> Yeah, and then also Jill Tuck dies at the end, and also Hoffman. Like it, it's like they fill it in. They fill in so much of the plot with stuff that's supposed to be engaging and scary. And oh no, what's this character gonna do? We care about her, but we don't care. Nobody cares. And also, it's terrible. Just, it's just terrible. The worst thing that they did is turn this movie series over from Jigsaw to his henchmen because because Hoffman is not a compelling villain. He is more like, I really feel like they wrote this character like very inconsistently and he would have been 
fine in like one movie, maybe two movies, but to have yeah. him be the main villain for the last like three to four movies is just it's too much for a series that's built around the character of Jigsaw. He started in episode three. He's yeah. been here for four movies. And it's a lot. And he's really not that good. Like he's he <laughs> I was thinking about that as he was dousing everything in gasoline at the end of the movie and lighting it on fire. And I was like, really? This is like the exit you're making? Like this seems so not I don't know. It, it just you're leaving a lot of things out there to be found. You're you're just sort of like hoping this works and clears your name, right? Everything's set on fire. That's it. I'm out. And, you know, that's, I don't know. He's just not that strong of a character. He's not that strong of a detective. And also he's a lunatic. They really try to make Hoffman out in this movie to be the ultimate indestructible villain like he's basically a freddy krueger or a jason at this point whatever situation he's in he finds a way to kill everyone and it just is so absurd that to Mm -hmm. think that he can easily take down seven people in a row with this same move he loves doing the knife um yes into the chin he literally kills four people in a row with that move. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say I'll give that I'll give that to Hoffman as a character trait. Hoffman gets stabby. That's that's Hoffman. Is it very it's not very jigsaw, but okay, fine. Like that's the only way I can square that. But yeah, it is like really corny and fast and it really like humanizes him. Oh, he's just a normal guy with a knife. Yeah. I had read this quote from Costas Mandalore, the guy who plays Hoffman. And he had said that he wanted to develop the character to be always in this like tension between wanting to be like Jigsaw and follow the rules and be very like ordered, but that, the character himself is a very like chaotic and violent person. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like Costas Mandalore maybe put more thought into his character and how he was going to try and handle what he was given than maybe the writers did. I mean, they changed writers like so <laughs> frequently in these movies that it's probably hard to keep the characterization really consistent between them. Probably. Yeah, just seeing Hoffman yeah, seeing Hoffman indiscriminately kill every single person and just like come out of it like totally unscathed until the very end is just like beyond believing. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. The other crew member I wanted to point out was our director, which is Gruter. Now, mm-hmm. Gruter did not want to do this movie initially. I'm not necessarily, I, I'm not going to speak for him, right? Hey, this movie sounds bad. I don't want to do it. That's not necessarily what he said. He was actually going to do Paranormal Activity 2. He was mm-hmm. going to direct that. But he was contractually obligated to direct this film by Lionsgate. Oh, yeah, by the saw team right so he had to 
ditch paranormal activity too and come direct this, <laughs> which I think oh. is really sad. He's collateral damage. So I don't want to hold this movie against him. And I wanted to call that out as well. <laughs> this movie is kind of like a, I mean, I am so torn because like, this movie is so bad that it, for me, does transcend into the so bad it's good. I feel like Saw 6, I got very little joy from. <laughs> Saw 5, half of it was fun. The other half was just a drag. This movie, I think, like I said, the first half where it's a little leaner on the Hoffman and Jill storyline is pretty fun just because it's so campy and it's so over the top and it's a 3D horror movie. And when you are watching it at home on your regular TV that doesn't have 3D on it, (laughs) remember that it's a 3D movie as like blood is getting sprayed directly into the camera. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good feeling. Yeah. It it has some fun things, but it's definitely the fun things in it are not related to the plot. This is true. This is very true. Well, I think we should get started on these traps. Okay. So yeah, trap- whatever. Let's go. <laughs> trap one. I call before trap one, we get to see Gordon again. We get to we see do. Gordon, yeah, like crawling for his life. Yeah, we we get a flashback <laughs> of all course. the way to Saw One, just in case you forgot where we started. Just in case you forgot what Saw is all about. And it reminds us that Gordon, Carrie Elwes, uh, survived. And it shows us him crawling, army crawling, because he's missing his foot. Right. And he gets close to a really hot pipe, a pipe that's like running steam through it or something. Yeah. And he like (gasps) self-cauterizes. Yeah, it's like, so gross. I love the fake leg here. <laughs> the fake leg. There's like a, a really quick shot where they kind of like CGI it and yeah. then switch to practical effects. If you're ever given a choice between CGI and practical effects, like go practical effects. Yes. Leg. The practical <laughs> effects leg looked so much better than the <laughs> than the CGI leg. Yeah. I, I am a big fan of practical as well. And that's – okay, so – I don't, again, I don't care about the plot, but I just thought this was a a cool scene because (laughs) you see him cauterizing his leg and it's just really funny because you can see the, the hands on the leg really close up, like kind of shaking, like shaking the leg. And I'm like, I can't tell if that's acting or if that's what you would really do. It just seems so silly, like the shaking of it. I'm probably going to say this phrase over and over, but it was a little much. A little much, yeah. (laughs) I love that they repainted his face with that clown makeup to make him look like he was dying. Um, It's one of my favorite things from Saw 1, and they brought it back here. So props to them. And so we're set up um, in in this first scene to know that Gordon has been alive this whole time. And he made it. Yeah, he's one of the survivors. And this movie is really about the survivors of Saw Traps more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So trap one. I called this one Lover's Quarrel. I call this one Macy's Christmas Puppies. Okay. (laughs) It really reminded me of the love triangle in The Office between Dwight and Andy and Angela. 
Oh my god, they should reshoot the scene with the three of them. That would be Can so you good. imagine how funny that would be? That would be incredible. I would love to watch that. I would, I, would, I would pay a lot of money to see that. Yeah, it's exactly how it ended in the office. They're, the two bros are like, whatever, fuck her. We're going to be friends now. <laughs> and then they slice her up. I hate this trap. Yeah. I, call, I called it Macy's Christmas Puppies because, <laughs> <laughs> because this is our first public trap. Yeah. And it's in a basically like a retail store window front, like display window, um, where around Christmas time, normally they would have like Macy's puppies um, <laughs> for adoption. And here we just have two unwitting men and the woman who's brought them together. And I hate this trap because it's in public. And that just is not really in the ethos of Jigsaw. Like no. Jigsaw wants the individuals to learn yeah. a lesson or to die. And it's always like very internally focused. It's these people who are kind of repenting for the things that they've done. It's them going through extreme bouts of pain and they're they're suffering, but they're suffering in a very like individual way. And I think that that's been a consistent thing through all of these movies. And then in this ostensibly last movie, in the finale to this <laughs> franchise, they're like, oh no, we're going to have the opening major set piece trap be in a public place where a hundred people are filming on their phones. No. Two guys getting jigsawed with this other random girl. Kate, it was 400 extras they brought in. 400? That's 400. so many. Yes. This was like our first glimpse into Saw City. Wink, wink, Kate. Yeah. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> and it looks like these people have been walking around for a while. Like they're all dressed. It doesn't look like anyone's carrying any lattes, right? It's not morning. It's, it. Ha you know, the day's been going on. What have these people been doing? Like, how did they just notice this? These, these people are on display in this trap. And we really never see them come back. Do we, do we ever hear about Brad and Ryan after this? No, they're not even in the survivors group that we see later. They're nothing. They don't tie it into the main storyline because I think in every other Saw movie, the opening trap has something to do with the broader plot where you think it's these random characters and it turns out that they're actually related to one of the henchmen or they're somehow part of the overall plot. And I think that that's why I also don't like this one is that it's just this big set piece and there's no, there's no payoff for it. Yeah. Yeah. But I do love the shot of the girl in the front trying to smash the glass with the flat side of her briefcase. <laughs> like that's going to do anything. <laughs> it was really hard to believe that only one person would be yeah. trying to break the glass. It doesn't really make any sense. And in this, okay, so to describe the trap. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. We haven't even done that. Okay. <laughs> to describe the trap, it is two men and a woman. The woman has been cheating on her boyfriend with the other guy. And so Jigsaw has them in there and says, 
that they need to choose um, who's going to live and who's going to survive out of the three of them. Only two of them can, can survive. And what there is, is there's these circular saws that are positioned where if one of the guys pushes against the circular saw, he would cut into the other guy. It's set up so that it goes both ways. There's also a circular saw that is positioned to cut the girlfriend in half. Right. If the guys decide to work together, then they can lift the the saw towards the center and kill the girl. And the girl has no choice in this. Apparently, cheating is such a huge crime that only this girl is going to make this kind of sacrifice. This is insane. Like who are who even are these people? Jigsaw has traditionally targeted people who have harmed him. These people really are only harming each other and that's the way the world works, right? Like that's kind of like how breakups go. That's normal. People do this shit all the time and they don't get hacked up for it. But yeah, th- this this like love triangle is is on display for everybody. And it's this bizarre trap that really has nothing to do with Jigsaw. This is when Jigsaw starts this, Kate. This scene is when Jigsaw starts to blend with John Doe from Seven. And honestly, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else has been involved with Jigsaw from the beginning. But not these people. These people have nothing to do with him. Sorry, right. I went on a tangent, but man, this this really gets my goat. Yeah, I didn't love this. There were three 3D shots in this trap, though. Oh, yes. I was trying to keep track of this, but I probably wasn't <laughs> as good as you were. The three... 3D shots in this one are they love the circular saw. They really like the circular saw coming at the camera. So they do that a couple times. And then, of course, the two guys, they work together. So their girlfriend gets sawed in half. And so when she's in the process of getting sawed in half, her guts are flying. And it's like, you know that that's a 3D shot. I got that one. And my my favorite part of this is um, as they're showing like blood spraying everywhere, you can tell that <laughs> in one part that there's someone standing off screen and it looks like they have like, a, like you can't see any of this, but this is what it must have been is someone with like a squirt gun full <laughs> of fake blood that they're squirting directly onto Billy the puppet's face. <laughs> Because all of the blood from her body is like spraying out, and then there's this stream of yes, blood. It's right. like a direct squirt gun stream directly I, onto Billy's face. I didn't even think about that, but you're totally—I totally remember that. And it's, it's so a rare, in the wrong direction. It's amazing. It's so rare that we get to see Billy Doll come out, like actually telling them how they're gonna die, and. And I'm like, I remember watching this thinking, they don't deserve Billy Doll. Who <laughs> are these people? Trap is so dumb. <laughs> this this plot, everything. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, that was what I got. The other the other um, 3D sequence I've seen thus far in our plot is the intro sequence. Obviously, that was very 3D. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyways, as far as this trap goes, yeah, I did write that down. The gut's flying at you. Why not? <laughs> yeah, she gets sawed pretty brutally. And there's this line of dialogue. So I wrote down a couple of choice lines of dialogue from this movie. It, Tina when she realizes that they're pushing the saw towards her instead of themselves, she goes, what are you doing? And they, one of the guys goes, we're breaking up with you, Tina. And then she shows the saw at her and she gets sawed in half. That's so rude. It's so absurd. This movie is full of like really choice one-liners like that. Yes, it is. Oh man, yes, because we soon after this scene switch to our new detective because all the other ones are dead and he is talking to Jill Tuck or he's about to talk to Jill Tuck and he goes, she looks crazier than a sack full of cats. I literally wrote that down too. That line was delivered so weirdly. And also who talks like that? I don't know, man. But like what she was just sitting there. She's just this lady sitting there. And I was like, what are you talking about? She looks fine. She looks scared. She does not look crazier than a sack full of cats. Oh, my God. And that takes us, you know, whatever. We go through the Bobby stuff. We learn Bobby is our guy who is pretending to be a jigsaw victim. And we meet him, blah, blah, blah. But then we get to this really great obligatory Jill Tuck death death dream. Yeah. And this is just purely, you can tell, this is purely made for the 3D effects. It is. And so when she's, so before you know she's dreaming, it looks like Jill gets, gets kidnapped by Hoffman. And then it cuts to her in this trap. And I was like, why did Hoffman undress her and take her bra off? Because you can see she's wearing this like thin tank top and she's got really big boobs. And I was like, this is so like porny. Like, I don't know, like, what they're going for here. And then you, and then she wakes up and you realize, like, oh, she's dreaming and she just sleeps in this, like, really, like, thin (laughs) tank top, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And, and you get to, so the trap is her basically tied up. Um, All of her limbs are tied to something. So she can't move. She can't get out. There's actually nothing she can do. So I don't even know if this is a real yeah, of course it's not a jigsaw trap she's in her she's in her own mind it's very Hoffman though and Hoffman is in the dream right very Hoffman and she is she so she's strapped up and she is rigged along this track and at the end of the track on Hoffman's end is this horrible looking machine car I don't know roller coaster like segment it's just on this track and at the front of it is this 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 point so it's it's been designed to basically pierce through something Mm -hmm. and this trap just you know takes off 
at her. It's it's not going too fast, but fast enough for her to be freaked out. She can't do anything. And it just cuts through her body and her body bursts apart. And of course, we get that nice 3D effect of her guts flying in her face and off screen and, and she's in a million pieces. And then she wakes up. <laughs> yeah, so this, this really had nothing to do with anything. They did not need to include this scene at all. It would have meant nothing. But it's a 3D movie, so you got to keep it. Yeah, they're really like they're really going for it. Like, oh, yeah. like when people die in this movie, they don't just die. Their bodies like explode. <laughs> There's no like bleeding out. There's no like, oh, their head got chopped off and it just kind of like lolls over like in Saw 5. It's more like, like, yeah, like Jill gets totally wrecked yeah, and her limbs just like splay apart and she's just done. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very over the top. Yeah, and I I didn't count this on my trap list, by the way, um, just because it wasn't real. I it didn't was... either. Okay, cool. But now we're at trap two. Yes, and um, I enjoyed this one because did what did you, you call it? What did you call it? A uh, Lincoln parked car. Oh, nice. I called it no skin off my back. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, and you recognize Chester Bennington? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yep. He, so Chester Bennington, lead singer for Lincoln Park, um, unfortunately passed away a few years ago and he was, um, pretty vocally a big fan of the Saw movies. Yes. And had one met with an acting coach for this role. He actually does a good job. Like this scene is so sad because they make him like a neo-Nazi, but, (laughs) but he is, um, you know, very committed. Um, m- most of his dialogue is screaming, which he's a singer. <laughs> and so I felt like he was well qualified for it. But um, yeah, I call this one Lincoln Parked Car because um, the the trap takes place in like an auto yard, like an auto shop. And like there's this big like yard that's full of like these uh, old cars and tires and stuff. And these this gang of white supremacists are all being jigsawed at the same time which i think that this is like maybe like one of the things that you see in this movie just hearing us talk about these traps is there's a handful of traps that just don't have much to do with the rest of the plot like these characters that we see in this auto yard aren't actually related to the rest of the plot the auto yard comes in later yeah but none of these characters really have anything to do with it they're just randos. Yeah, rando Nazis trying to live their best lives. Yeah, yeah, and and this has like thirty seconds, right? And he's he's supposed to pull away from the car seat because his whole back is glued, like super, super, super glued to the back seat, and he yep. tries to lift away from it. And you can see his skin being pulled away from his flesh. And man, I, as far as, you know, this trap, like, it's so gross. I have to, I was like, I'm going to take some notes right now. I'm not going to watch this because <laughs> it's so gross. I like the way too. It's just, it's not scary. It's just gross. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they do a really good job on the special effects. It looks like his skin is peeling off of his yeah. back. It's like a and- webbing of skin. Yeah, it's pretty gross. It's pretty gnarly. He he has to, 
you know, lean forward out of this seat so that he can pull a lever that will stop one of his friends from getting a running tire in the face um, and then also stops another friend from getting pulled apart by their limbs, kind of like a drawn and quartered type situation. And then there's another friend that's chained up against a wall. And you can really tell that this is like a Hoffman trap because he like finally like lurches forward all the skin from his back rips off and he pulls the lever and the lever actually does like the opposite of what he thinks it's going to do. And it kills all of his friends. He <laughs> just puts everything into motion and it kills all of his friends. Uh, I love it. He is there in the driver's seat. Yeah. He's, his skin is being ripped off of his torso. His friend behind him has his arms and I think, jaw chained to the car mm-hmm. and then the friend in front of him is just strapped to a wall so he's gonna obviously plow through him if the car goes and then under the tire is like probably his girlfriend or yeah like you said yeah. his friend. and her face is, is she's like looking up at this revving tire and it looks so terrifying it's such a gore porn scene because these people never come back we you know we they're a they're a prompt they're prompt to what's going to happen next, but they don't actually matter in the plot. And actually, Kate, I read that this trap was removed from an earlier Saw movie because it was considered too graphic. Interesting. Yeah. This one, I think, just got an R rating. Um, yeah. I- yeah. We were fine with it by then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we didn't care anymore. Yeah, it was 2010. We'd gone through the recession and housing crisis. People were like, yeah, we can see someone's face get peeled off by a tire. It's fine. This. <laughs> yeah. I, I just have to say, this doesn't have anything to do with the trap, but I love that this movie was 90 minutes long. Like, me too. I really think I would have struggled had this movie been a second longer than 90 minutes. <laughs> I had a hard time watching. You know, I've been watching the last few, like, two times this one I I could barely watch it one time I finished it this morning I (laughs) have such a hard time getting through it okay so after trap two I don't care to talk about the plot but 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 this part of the plot I do think is worth talking about because it's so fucking stupid Kate um we get to see a so it's not a self-help group. It it looks like it's supposed to be a therapy session. And it's with Bobby. Bobby is the guy who has lied about his encounters with Jigsaw. Mm-hmm. He's trying to sell a book, basically. And he's got all his handlers there. And there's a camera crew. And it's him with a circle of survivors talking about the good things that could have come from being trapped by Jigsaw as if there were such a thing. And we see the woman from the intro trap from last from the last saw movie who had to cut off her own arm. It was, you know, the the trap from it was like a what was it? pound of flesh trap. Yeah. Um so she's there, she's lost her arm and he is trying to convince her, "Hey, there's good shit that happened after this. There's there's some good stuff out there. You, you could learn something from this." And she's like, "The best thing that happened to me is I got preferred parking, right? I get my right. handicap parking." 
speaking. And I, I was so angry this time watching it. You know, the first one or two times I wasn't thinking too much about it. I just wanted to see the traps. But he's like Dr. Phil. He's such a phony. And he's telling these people, yeah, you should you should look for the good. Look for the good. But he's never actually gone through it. He's lying nope. to everybody. And I was like, you know what? This guy fucking deserves it. <laughs> I, I will say that like of all of the Saw movies, having this guy go through them is probably the most conflicted I've been because he really deserves something bad to happen to him. I don't know if like all of his friends and family deserve to die like they no. do in these traps, <laughs> but I think yeah. that, you know, he rips open his shirt during this scene to be oh, like, God. look at my scars. And he has these like two, like you can two, barely see them. Yeah. These two, like two inch <laughs> scars. Like they're so like small and light. And he's saying this to a woman who had to cut her own arm off in an actual jigsaw trap. Yeah. And then and then he brings his wife over and basically just like makes out with her in front of everybody. <laughs> he's like, look, see, this can be a good thing. And makes out with his wife. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. God, you're awful. We And we do get in this scene, though, Gordon. Uh, wow. I almost yes. said Gordon. I almost said Gordon Cole. Um, who is, um, that is David Lynch's character from the Twin Peaks franchise. (laughs) Lawrence Gordon. Lawrence Gordon is, is back. He's alive and we see him and he's walking with a cane and he's so like debonair and he does, he does a slow clap and is like dripping with this like condescending sarcasm towards Dagan, the self-help guy. And Dagan's just like, hey, thanks, man. <laughs> he just like doesn't get yeah, it. He doesn't get it at all. He's so, he's just so uh, aloof. And then I love how, yeah, I was like, who is this circle even helping? I mean, I feel like he just organized it so that he would have footage for his tour that he's doing. I don't think it's actually supposed to help anyone. Yeah, no. But it's set up to look that way. And it really pissed me off. And I was like, fine, you deserve it. Fine. I give up. This plot sucks. Go. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see you suffer. Yeah. Yeah, So I think we can move on to trap three. Let's do it. Wait, was your trap three the same as my trap three? My trap three was... Dagan getting out of the box with the knife floor. Okay. I included tr- uh, the trap that Cindy goes through, which is the wind fans. She talks about it in the Dr. Phil moment and they kind of do oh. a back to it. And I only included it because they haven't shown it before because a lot of these characters haven't existed before, which is another problem I have with this movie. Yeah, I think that we should include that. I think that that was a really interesting one. And also, this this movie is very interesting in that it it is so far removed from John Kramer as a person. Mm-hmm. The movies one through six, really, are all people he knows from the hospital or insurance or the police force it's all like very oriented around his little universe 
But in this movie, they're so willing to just show like, oh, here are these random average citizens who are in this city being subjected to this terror. And so we see Cindy in a quick flashback. She and her abusive husband were both like strung up over these really intense, huge metal fans. And uh, they had to like kick each other and like knock each other and whoever like fell into the fans like lost the other person wins. And so Cindy of course won. And she is a person who was, you know, under Jigsaw's rules um, and in his worldview is actually rehabilitated because she feels liberated. She's like, I never had the courage to leave my abusive husband, but killing him in a jigsaw trap gave me that freedom. (laughs) She's definitely a cultist. She is. She's all, she's all in. She's all in on it. Yeah. All right. So then there's trap four, which I called liar, liar, pants on fire. Um, this is, I don't know if this is the same one as you. Um, it's, it's Bobby in a birdcage waking up and having to go through this maze of other traps that are set up for his friends. Yeah. So he wakes up in this birdcage and it's a metal cage that's suspended in a room. We've seen similar things to this in other Saw movies and he sees that there's like a lever to be pulled and he <laughs> he hasn't seen any saw movies before but he definitely should have <laughs> he if he's pretending it. to be a saw victim yeah but he pulls this lever and of course the floor to his cage drops and underneath him is a floor full of knives and he's actually pretty clever in terms of getting out of it yeah, I feel like I would have died in this trap, but it's so easy to figure out, you know. So the when the trap starts, the bottom of his birdcage drops and he is like, Ugh, and he kind of loses his grip and almost falls, but he, he holds on to the edges of the birdcage and kind of uses the birdcage itself to create momentum and fling his body across from the bottom of the spikes or sorry from the spikes which are below his cage similarly to how a kid would jump off of a set of park swings Mm -hmm. and I was watching it and I was thinking oh that's pretty easy actually he really clears the spikes by a lot um but if the bottom had dropped out on me I probably would have fallen and died what about you yeah, I don't know if I would have reacted quickly enough. I, I would like to imagine that if I were in his shoes and had spent a lot of time around other Saw victims and had learned a lot about it and kind of knew how these traps operated, that I would be expecting as soon as I pulled whatever trigger it was to start the game, that something very bad was about to happen. Yeah. But me as a person like if you were taking literally me as I am now like yeah I probably would have just fallen out and landed on the knives same same I don't that would have been it that would have been the end of the movie (laughs) I know if it was you or me yeah 
But now he has to actually earn his book credit by going through all of these traps. Yeah, his book is named Survive, and he uses Survive as an acronym where each letter is its own phrase. And the thing that was killing me in this movie is that each of the phrases were so long and awkward. I just couldn't, I couldn't get behind that this guy had actually published a book where they let him have this horrible acronym. I, I, it's hard to get behind anything in this movie. There's also this really funny scene that happens next between Trap 4 and Trap 5, which is Jill Tuck and the detective Gibson. And he calls her crazy lady like five times. Yeah. He goes, okay, crazy Crazy lady. lady. (laughs) (laughs) He says it in such a bizarre, like every time he has to interact around her, it's like his brain like malfunctions a little bit. Like he can't handle her. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's so bad. It's, I, I, I didn't even think about this until, I mean, I wasn't, focusing on it because again this movie it was so easy to just mindlessly step away from and this scene caught my attention because he just keeps saying crazy lady okay crazy lady are you crazy lady crazy he just kept saying it and I was like stop stop like stop calling her crazy actually in this moment I really feel for Jill Tuck she has a crazy husband and she's dealing with Hoffman and she's dealing with all these ridiculous traps. And the only thing her husband left to her in his will is another trap. Like, God, leave her alone. (laughs) Poor Jill Tuck. Yeah. It's really funny how when she jigsaws Hoffman, they really kind of position her at the end of saw six as like, Oh, Jill's the badass Jigsaw now. And then in this movie, they just do a hard reset on her character and she's a victim again. They're like, she's not capable of anything. (laughs) And they just, they just make her a pretty helpless character this whole movie. But anyways, now we're on to trap five, which is dubbed in my book as key to my heart. What about you? I'm looking at my notes. (laughs) I have... This one is Gone Fishing. Okay. (laughs) Is this the one with with Bobby's PR girl? Yeah. She had to swallow a key and the key is connected to a fish hook. Yes. And he has to help her pull this fish hook out of her stomach through her mouth. And if she screams, there's a decibel reader in the room which is so sophisticated the traps are just so like you can't imagine one person building any of these traps no i work i work on product my job is like product development for like plastic stuff that goes on phones and (laughs) it takes us like 18 months to launch like any given product and like to look at this like very sophisticated sophisticated decibel reader that ha- that will trigger needles going into her neck based on her making noise above a whisper and thinking like oh Hoffman in all of his spare time helped build this just is so absurd 
Yeah, he is an engineer that doesn't really care. He just doesn't. And and really only needs to worry about one use case, which is hers. It's yeah, it's it's a like on in some ways it's like a kind of unsophisticated trap because like he just has to pull this key out of her stomach. Yeah. Without her screaming. But the fact that the screaming then triggers this like enormous device to to like plunge into her neck is wild. Like I wish yeah. that they would have gone like all high tech or all low tech. Yeah. Exactly. But, but they didn't. And so didn't. uh Bobby, he um, you know, tries to yank this thing out of her throat. Um, he's so mad at her that she can't stop screaming. And, and I love how he says, like, can you for once in your life just shut the fuck up? I think that's so funny. I mean, it's it's such a like wife husband kind of trope, right? Like you're you're with this person who is always nagging you, but it's his handler. And I just thought it was really funny, but also like, come on, dude. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine going through this? Like, no. Like to know that like, oh, the guy, like my life depends on this lying, cowardly guy. Like everything is right uh, on this guy getting it right. Yeah. It's horrible. It's it horrible that horrible. she's in that position. It's a horrible trap. All these traps are so bad. They're so unfair. These people are really just doing their jobs. <laughs> just doing what they're hired to do. Right. Like I, I really dislike that these jigsaw traps always pull in so many peripheral characters to the actual crime that's being punished. Um, okay, okay. So who cares? We're, <laughs> we're we're done with that trap. Now let's do trap six. Okay, here's my name. Here's my name. Can I tell you my name? Yeah. I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> Another birdcage motif. Have you noticed this? Um, I did not. I noticed that they were doing a theme in the traps of hear no evil, see no evil, speak mm -hmm. no evil. Okay. 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 That's true. Yes. Yeah. He was originally set up in a bird cage and now we're seeing another bird cage. And I it's it's the Billy doll, right? He's in mm -hmm. a bird cage. Yep. Yeah. What is that about? I don't know. I'm like, Kate's the English lit major. She might know, so I'll ask her. I mean, bird cages are typically symbols of, like, freedom and lack of freedom. Mm -hmm. Like, that's pretty – I mean, that's mm -hmm. pretty on the nose, right? Yeah. It's like, if you wanted to look at it on a very, like, surface level, it's that they're all – they're all trapped and they're all – they're all like very literally trapped within the scheme of Hoffman here. And they're all fighting for their escape. And that's that's my English degree at work. I don't really know that there's much more to that than I know. There that. probably isn't, but I wanted to ask anyway, because it seems like they went out of their way to include a 
birdcage <laughs> multiple times. There are a lot of cages in this one, though. I just, yeah, uh, yeah I don't, I don't, I don't know. It, I guess we'll, we'll yeah. <laughs> it felt to me like they were trying to make it mean something, but it ended up not meaning anything because it's so terrible. So I just figured I'd ask you. Beyond that, we're on to trap seven. I counted this as trap seven. Yep. And I called it would be easier to crawl. Okay. Call it? <laughs> I didn't have a name for this one. You know, I, <laughs> Mine I got like, bad too. <laughs> I got pretty beat by this movie. Yeah. I, I had like a couple of fun names for these traps. This one with the lawyer. So with the lawyer, I felt like this trap was really short. Like I, the overall like scene was pretty short. Um, the lawyer character had been minorly introduced, but wasn't really a fleshed out character. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't really invested in it. No, I was more so interested in how this could be solved and just watching him try to deal with it. I I feel like the only way to get to really get out of this trap alive would be to crawl because how can you have balance without eyesight? I, I, I was trying to do it. And not that I'm the most balanced person in the world, but you know, I'm a regular Joe. Oh yeah. my gosh, Megan, you and I are talking, you and I are talking about two different traps. <gasps> oh no, I'm talking about, okay. Which trap are you talking about? I love this. I'm talking about the one with the lawyer where she's strapped to that like thing and there are it's like she's going to get impaled oh, yeah. in her eyes and mouth. I and moved on too soon. <laughs> yeah, you skipped one. I mean, okay, so I – We did start talking say, about it and then we talked about the birdcage motif and then I was like, all right, I'm done. That's uh, how this movie is, guys. It's yeah. so boring you forget about the trap. Well, this trap isn't really good and it's pretty short and like they didn't really develop this character. No. So I'll like I'll summarize. <laughs> no, you're really- right. Let's let's do it. Let's do okay. it. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> Bobby comes in, he sees his lawyer, she's strapped as per usual, um, against kind of like a wall type thing. And the threat is that she'll get these metal rods that will impale her eyes and her mouth. Unless Bobby is willing to um, lift up this really heavy weight for a full minute, I think. Um, yeah. But whenever he lifts up that weight, um, it jams these like metal spikes into his rib cage, and so he actually like tries pretty valiantly he to does. Like, like keep this thing lifted. And it sucks because he's not able to do it. She dies, of course. And um, it really kills me that he, had he held out for like two more seconds, she would have lived. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these traps are built purposely. You know, if we're going to get into why this movie exists, um, I feel like these traps were created purposely to show that he was lying, that he made something up he couldn't possibly know anything about. And so why not throw a few more traps at him that are impossible to solve, even though he's trying his hardest? 
Um, I thought maybe that could be why these traps are so perilous. I could see that. I think that, I think that that's a really good point because he does try on all of these traps to save these people. Yeah. But they're just not survivable. They're really, really difficult. He actually, in the first couple of traps, gets out pretty unscathed. You know, he gets out of that first trap with no injury. When he tries to save his publicist, he's not injured in any way. Let's, you know, not ignore the emotional damage and trauma he's going through. But still, he doesn't sustain any physical damage. It's this test with his lawyer where he gets stabbed in the ribs that that's really the first time he has to suffer something. Yeah, which is fine. But it's not like the movies present themselves as being that smart. And this never comes back to us. So it's totally a theory of mine. Like maybe this is how they close that plot hole. You know, he he's trying his hardest, but it doesn't matter because the trap is not really meant to be solved. I'm, yeah, I'm kind of making that up, but we'll see. <laughs> maybe, maybe Spiral will tell us something different for, you know, for some reason. I want Spiral to be a hard reboot of this whole series that has nothing to do with Hoffman or Strom or any of these horrible characters. Okay, okay, okay. But I would love it if there was a cult of Jigsaw and Chris Rock was like the son of Danny Glover or something. That would be super cool. (laughs) That would be cool. I'd be okay with that. (laughs) I am such a weirdo about movies. Like, I... I don't like to watch movie trailers for movies that I haven't seen. And I don't like to read plot summaries. My ideal movie watching experience is to know the title and like a vague one sentence gist of the plot and going in cold. Like that is my like ideal situation to see a movie. And so I'm going to purposely not learn anything about Spiral before seeing it. Same. I mean... I don't have the same kind of requirements for enjoying a movie, but I don't want to know anything about Spiral. So I haven't been reading anything about it. And that's exactly why I didn't know that it was pushed a year. I I was totally taken aback by that. Um, Yeah, because I'm trying so hard to stay away from it. So does this bring us to Trap 7? Yeah, let's do the actual trap you're talking about. Like, I I did want to like just talk to you about this trap on like a personal level. Like, because I feel like they could have done this. They could have. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I, I was. Yeah, uh, they could have done it. I Okay, so that's why I named it would be easier to crawl. I feel like if he had crawled, it would have been okay. But I don't know what the limitations were with his noose. Oh, that's a good point. Because I was going to say that I feel like if he was willing to like sit down or put like one hand down as he was going along these beams, that he would have been able to do it. But instead, so this trap is Bobby comes into a room and it's on the second story of some, some, oh, it's an abandoned psychiatric facility. Right. And the floor has totally given out and there's just all of these like beams going across um, beams and planks of wood going across the floor. And his 
friend, yeah, it's his best friend. His best friend is on the other side, is wearing like a mask and a noose. And Bobby has to like be able to get this key over to his friend while his, his friend's mask like keeps him totally like blinded. And so he's not able to see that the floor is missing. So he has to guide him with his words so that he doesn't fall and like hang himself um, so that he can get him the key in time. And there's a, you know, he has what, 60 seconds, 30 seconds, who knows? It's some ridiculous short amount of time to get this key over to this dude who can't see anything. And he gets to the point where he's close enough to toss the key. He can't walk anymore. Mm -hmm. And he's going to toss the key to his friend who has his hands cupped in front of him. He's, he's just trying to like listen and like do his thing. And he throws the key and I'm like, I said this like over and over out loud, not just to myself. I was <laughs> like, you cannot throw it. You cannot throw it. You cannot throw it. I think there was still like 20 seconds or so left in this trap. And I was like, please just, just crawl over there and give it to him. Like, don't throw it. He, there's no way for this poor man to catch it. Yeah. I, I don't know what they were thinking. That's why I think that like, if it were me and you, we could have done it. Cause I feel like. Yeah. If either of us were the person with the mask on, we would have just been like, okay, come forward. Okay, you're going to like put your hand down, feel where this is, and then you're going to stop, and I'm going to crawl to you, and I'm going to like pass you the key. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Kate, when I worked at that summer camp, Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp in Michigan, um, part of our training for being a counselor was walking other people through like a forest or, you know, a, a trail, but they had to be blindfolded and you had to give them guidance through this. And this trap really, I should have named it after Blue Lake, right? Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp. But mm -hmm. um, it was exactly that. It was, it was just leading somebody through whatever so that you could show them how much they should trust you. <laughs> and and that's what this reminded me of. And I was like, if I was in this trap for realsies, I would tell him grip, you know, touch the edges of the beams with your feet or your hands. If you can bend down, I will get over as close to you as I can. I would not throw this key. I just wouldn't. I couldn't. It's not great. <sighs> I would have done you so much better than this guy. I really Promise. believe that. I think you would too. I think that you would do okay in these tests. I think so too. But also when the noose, when, when the trap is like, when the time limit's up and he falls, he is still alive for a few seconds, right? You know, usually when you, usually this is a thing that happens all the time. Usually when you get hung by a hangman's noose, what happens is the floor drops out from under you and your neck breaks, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's part of it. This guy's neck clearly doesn't break. He is still no. and But his hands are not tied. And I was like, grab the noose. Grab the noose. I was just yelling I at know. Him. Put your hands in between That's, the noose and your neck. Something. Like, I, this, you know, this trap didn't seem fair, but it also seemed like something you could buy some time on. And I don't feel like this guy bought any time for himself. I think it was just easier for the writers that way, to be honest. I think that they knew they needed everyone around this guy to die. Right. It didn't matter. Yeah. It was just 
It was just a foregone conclusion. So his friend dies and then he goes into the next trap, which is a truth of the matter. (laughs) Oh, amazing. I love that. (laughs) So in this room, he's in this like medical room and there's a dental x-ray, which is never a thing you want to see when you're in a jigsaw trap. And the trick here is that he has to pull teeth to find the correct code to unlock the door that will let him get to his wife. He's pretty lucky because Jigsaw tells him the two teeth that he needs to pull. Um, They're both wisdom teeth, unfortunately. I really wish one had been a front tooth. I do too. I think that front teeth actually come out pretty easily. But still, but for other reasons. For, I mean, the theatrics of it would be amazing for one thing, but the the thing that killed me in this scene was the sheer amount of fake blood coming out of his mouth as he was pulling these teeth out. Oh, yours was the, was the blood. Mine was the noise. Oh, okay. I just could not get over, like, how, I don't know. We've all had wisdom teeth removed. We like, have. We, like, they, they're like sopping up blood as they go, but like this guy is like literally just got gallons of fake blood just like pouring <laughs> from his mouth as he's going. It's absurd. It's all over his shirt and the table and everywhere. And- the table is full of blood. It's like a little pool of blood just growing and growing as it goes. And the sound effects in this scene are insane. It's so loud. It's like a real creaking and like crunching you hear as he's pulling this tooth out of his mouth. And I was like, teeth don't make this much sound. Like it's tooth against gum. It's not tooth against, you know, metal. It's it's just a tooth. <laughs> it doesn't make this much noise. Yeah, but that was really all I had to say about it. Because it was a small, it was a very small trap. And it was more of a test than a trap. But I still wrote it down as a as a trap. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and he, he successfully pulls out two of his teeth. He loses about, you know, five pints of blood. He would have been a very good candidate for Saw 5. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to give up blood because he loses so much blood from his mouth and he comes through this room and the thing that we we've learned earlier in this movie is that bobby and all of his cronies are all in on this lie that he's not actually a jigsaw victim he has lied to his wife this whole time for years that he's a jigsaw victim and she's believed him And so as part of his last trap um, with his wife, um, he essentially has to admit to her that he has never gone through a jigsaw trap. We are kind of going back and forth between the current timeline and, uh, you know, elsewhere from Bobby's whereabouts and then also Bobby's whereabouts. So we're seeing Bobby go through these traps and the whole time Bobby's going through these traps, his wife has video access to what he's doing. So she can see everything that's happening. And he eventually does 
get to her and has to face her, which, you know, is sort of culminating through the whole movie, but we don't really see the outcome until the end. Right. So at the end here, we do see in this trap, his wife has been chained to a platform. He comes in and and he hears from Billy the puppet that he needs to go through and survive the thing that he has claimed to already survive. Yeah. Which is he claimed that he had to put metal hooks into his chest and then hoist himself up onto a platform. Yeah. And he he does it. Like he gets he tries. He gets, I mean, he gets really close and I couldn't re- Okay, so <laughs> I've seen enough of these movies now where I can pretty much guess where these traps are going. I couldn't remember how this trap was going to end but I could certainly make an educated guess oh. on how this trap was going to end. This is a bad trap, but honestly, Kate, there's like three other, sorry, two, well, one other trap. Yeah, because obviously our ordering is different. One other trap I wanted to bring up. Actually, no, you're right. Sorry, I'm right. Two other traps that I wanted to bring up just in case you thought they were actual traps. Mm-mm. Okay. Okay, there are two booby traps that come before this. But then, yes, I have a lot to say about this trap. Um, So the first trap is a fake out. It's a booby trap with a machine gun. This is when we see the SWAT kind of closing in. Yep. And they get, you know, booby, booby trapped to death. That's fine. No big deal. Then we get to see trap 10, which is another booby trap. And this is a gas chamber trap. They... The SWAT team is gassed out so that mm-hmm. they can't pursue. Okay, and then we get to the trap you're talking about, which I called the other white meat. Nice. Okay, but yeah, <laughs> let's continue. Okay. <laughs> we're being so, like, fast and loose with the plot on this one. Yeah, the, tra- the, the plot doesn't matter. Those were just other traps I wanted to call out. But, yeah, yep, let's go. For sure. Yeah. So he hooks into his chest, and he very valiantly pulls himself up. He tries. And he does die. You know, he does. That's a fact. Does he but, die or does he just pass out? Oh. Um okay, so what he does is he he hooks into his chest, he hoists himself up, and what he has to do is he has to make this plug connection that will save his wife. And he has to like kind of jump and reach to do it and when he does that the hooks rip out of his chest and he falls down to the ground like 20 feet to the ground it's a really far really far fall yeah and he he sees that as soon as he runs out of time because of course it's like down to the last second that he does this he falls to the ground and his wife the platform immediately drops down and this big like oven contraption comes and covers her all around her is this electric fence material he tried getting to her and he gets electrocuted 
Yeah, he he gets electrocuted and is like falls back onto the ground. I guess we don't actually see him die. And so it's totally possible that he survives this whole thing. Well, I just thought, you know, it it doesn't show it. That's fine. They don't they didn't show for Riggs either and Riggs died. But this guy, you know, he's been electrocuted and he's ripped out his pecs like that's not necessarily something that would kill you. It's definitely something you could bleed out from. But, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I didn't think it seemed like something you would necessarily die from as a default. Kate, what did you call this trap that his wife is in? I didn't have a name for it. Really? Okay. Really? I, call I don't it, think so. Let me let me look at my notes. Okay. What'd you call it? I called it bellowing pig. Now this may not make any sense to you. <laughs> but um I I kind of I kind of love looking up um ancient torture devices and ancient torture figures such as like Caligula. And yeah. this trap is definitely based on an ancient trap. Um, it's definitely more involved and complicated and, you know, um, there's some automated stuff going on here, but the original idea of this trap is totally ancient. Um, and I did get that. I did, I did get that it was like very mythological. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this is even, um, in like one of those old like Hercules ones too, right? Like there's something similar where someone gets like imprisoned inside of a metal bowl. Ugh, yeah. Um, yeah. Right. This is based off of a trap called the bell, referred to as the bellowing bull, which was designed, you know, as far as legend goes by Phalaris. This has been like kind of talked about between historians Phalarius uh, was a ruler in ancient Greece, and he developed this torture device that was basically a, a bowl made out of bronze, pure bronze. Um, and you would put somebody inside and light a fire underneath and just listen to them die. Uh, their screams would come out of these like tubes from from the bull's chest, right? That kind of made it sound like a melodious thing. It was just awful. It was so cruel. It was such a, such a cruel trap. Right. Um, and I, and, and they definitely use that as inspiration for this trap. I'm not even going to question it. Um, but I did, ca- I called it the bellowing pig just cause we've seen pigs so many times in this movie. And it does sort of kind of resemble a, like an abstract pig when you mm-hmm. see clothes around her. Um, but yeah, this was like based on a real thing designed by the ancient Greece ruler, uh, Phalaris. He was awful, apparently, for developing this. Um, but yeah, his wife is in this and she's done nothing. She's another of these victims that's done nothing wrong. She just loves her husband. She's so innocent. She doesn't deserve it. I wish that they would lean I don't know. These these traps are so inconsistently sourced. Like some of them are very 
like historical or from literature. Like we saw the pound of flesh, which is a Shakespearean reference. We've seen the bellowing bull reference um, here. Then we get just kind of off the wall traps. I think it would be a really interesting series to see a serial killer who has a motive that is very educated and very rooted in history where all of their traps were based on like historical torture devices, like being drawn and quartered, being crucified, iron maidens. Like we've seen like glimpses of those things, but they've never like actually given any depth to any of it or made us feel like John Kramer is doing this intentionally. And so I feel like it loses some of its impact because there's there's these cool like references that they're dropping in these traps that aren't tied back to anything else. Yeah, this I mean this trap was just here's your wife, she's a prize, she's getting melted. And we had to sit there and watch it and I hate this trap. This is my least honestly it's my least favorite trap in the entire series. Um, I, re- I referred to it back in Saw 2 when we saw, um, oh, I can't remember his name now. Everyone's so forgettable in this series. But we, you know, we saw somebody climb into an oven trying to get some uh, syringes full of antidote. Yeah. And he burns to death. And that was this one, but like on a much larger scale. This woman has done nothing but love her husband. And now she's being punished for it. Like, how was she supposed to know he was lying to her? It totally sucks. I hate this trap so much. I really remember the first time I saw this thinking, wow, that's fucked up. As I was watching this, I said to Mike, oh, this is going to be Megan's least favorite. <laughs> I said, I hate she hates things that have to do with burning. <laughs> and so this is going to be your least favorite. Yeah. Oh, man. You're such a good friend. We did sort of skim over Trap 12. What I wrote down is Trap 12, um, which is I, – I, I was stuck between two names. Either She Bear and Jill Takes a Beating because <laughs> that's really what happened. We we see Jill get stuck in the original um, reverse bear trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that sort of happens simultaneously with the bellowing pig. Yeah, because the bellowing pig happens at the end of the movie, which um, it's very in line with all of the other Saw movies where they, they really love to do quick editing cuts in between the two plot threads. And so we do get this back and forth between Bobby and his wife and Jill and Hoffman. Yeah. And she's, she's put in the reverse bear trap by Hoffman. Um, He's like, he finds her, you know, where she's been hiding out, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Doesn't matter. He finds her (laughs) and he puts her in this trap. And um, I was kind of sad that she died this way because we've already seen someone beat it, right? She she couldn't have yeah. really beat it, though, because he sits there and watches her die in it. He makes sure she's not going to get out. Yeah, the ending of this movie really ended on a low note for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I feel like, they're trying to do fan service, but it's not actually what the fans want. Yeah. 
Like, how do you guys not know us after, like, six years? They bring back the reverse bear trap, which we've seen Amanda beat. We've seen Hoffman beat. Now they're putting it on Jill. And it's like, okay, apparently this is the trap that we've all decided is, like, the big gotcha trap. And I just don't agree with that. Like, I think that it was, like, really a standout when it was used on Amanda. And it was kind of a funny gotcha when Jill used it against Hoffman. But then for Hoffman to turn around and use it on Jill and then for her to die with it, it just felt very uninspired. I feel like there's other things that they could have done to her. Yeah. And it was made such a big deal. And it just, it just wasn't. It, yeah, it felt like you're you're exactly right, Kate. I really felt the same thing that they were trying to do fan service and kind of didn't understand the fans for some reason. Well, They've had so much time to study us. I know. And then the very end of the movie with Hoffman going out to his car and he gets kidnapped by three people. He in finally Canada. gets Hoffman. And one of those people is our very beloved Lawrence Gordon. Yeah. We love him. We do. And where does Gordon take him? Of all of the thousands of abandoned buildings <laughs> in Saw City. Saw City. <laughs> Gordon drags him back to the bathroom from Saw 1. Yes. And... This is the second time in this movie that someone says the phrase game over. Game over. Why do why use that phrase twice? twice? Why use it twice in one movie? Gordon dumps Hoffman into the bathroom. He chains him by the foot. We've seen this happen multiple times. This has happened to multiple people now. And he takes the saw away from him because he knows that Hoffman is a crazy bastard who will definitely saw off his foot immediately. He will waste no time sawing (laughs) off his foot. So he takes the saw away from him. And he does the classic thing of standing in that doorframe, backlit, and says game over and slams the door. Yeah, and it doesn't mean anything anymore. No, because this is literally the fourth time we've seen someone slam the same door and say the same thing. Yep. It just, it really (laughs) takes all of the wind out of your sails when you've watched all of these movies, when you're like us and you've seen all these movies so many times. And you love them. And you love them. Like, we We love love them. We we critique these movies, and I know we're being particularly harsh on – we're being so harsh on this one. And I think it's because, like, they really positioned this as, like, the finale, the, the final game. This is the last thing that we're going to see in the Saw universe. Little did we know that there would be two more movies coming, but sure. And instead of being inventive, instead of finding – better narrative arcs for these characters they take a shortcut and they just reuse dialogue they reuse scenes they reuse tropes they've used over and over before and they think that that is equivalent to closure for this series yeah and it's really not and I just I really really dislike it when movies assume that audiences are dumber than they are like I really think that 
but that movies that kind of pander to the lowest common denominator is not fun for an audience member. And I don't think it would be fun for a filmmaker either, you know? Yeah, it's really unfortunate. This movie made close to, you know, worldwide close to what we are used to seeing for the Saw movies, 135. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 1.35. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it just, I, I saw that number and I was thinking, why? <laughs> and I think the reason why, honestly, I'll speak for all of us Saw fans out there. I think the reason is why, because we wanted to f- have a good ending. We wanted to see what what was going to go down. And then we showed up for the final chapter and it sucked. It really sucked. We did not feel like this was the ending we were expecting. It just kind of ends. Yeah. You know, it ends in a way that we've seen it end before. We know that Lawrence Gordon is a bad guy in some degree. They had two other people in masks with him. So it's the final chapter, but they didn't close it fully. You know, they they definitely left it open for additional sequels in the future. And I just really dislike marketing gimmicks where they're like, this is the last one where they've actually gotten their back pocket like three more movies. You know, it's like, I want to see people with artistic integrity just committing to the storyline that they want to tell and execute on that. Like, I think if you look at, um, there's so many movies that here that I'm going to compare this to a TV show. I'm going to compare this to Breaking Bad, for example. Okay. Which is um, when Breaking Bad was being written, um, the creator said that he had a five season arc and breaking bad was such a phenomenal success mm-hmm. that the TV network was willing to just fund seasons indefinitely. Yeah. They were like, you can make 10 seasons, you can make 15 seasons. Like there's so many people tuning into this that we will just pay for this to go on forever. And the producers were like, no, we have a five season arc of this really, really tight, well-written storyline that we're going to tell. And this is what we're going to stick to. And it just made really amazing television. Yeah, And I think that when you see these like horror movie franchises where you've got like 20 Halloween movies, <laughs> eight Saw movies, I don't know. I've, I haven't seen the Chucky movies. There's probably like 10 of those. You haven't like, seen any of the Chucky movies. I haven't seen any Chucky movies. Guys, <laughs> guys, this is going to make for a great season of Chucky movies. <laughs> <laughs> but when they do this, they don't have like a point A to point B that they're trying to get to. They're just like trying to reinvent the wheel with yeah. every movie they put out. It doesn't matter. They're just going to create flashbacks they can do whatever they want I know but you feel as an audience member it's fatiguing it's fatiguing to have to watch someone like flail around artistically for 10 years you know 
And it's not one person. It's, it's dozens of people. And I, I don't want to discount, like, this is not the last movie. And I I know we're going to do a finale episode and I'm totally monologuing here, but, (laughs) but I feel so passionately about this. I've had two very large glasses of wine. I've had to have a bottle of a very large (laughs) bottle that's normal sized. So I just want people to know that like, I I'm critiquing because I love these movies and I just, I want them to be the best movies that they can be. And I know that this was such a labor of love from everyone involved. The people who have been in these movies, they really stuck it out for the long haul. Mm -hmm. You know, people, people have spent a decade plus of their lives around these movies and building their whole livelihoods around them. And we love them for it. We also want good content and we want to see good artistic expressions and celebrate those artistic expressions. And I think that that's just what I'm trying to communicate here. Yeah, I know. Even Gruter, I feel so bad for him. He's been involved since the beginning, not necess- not as a director, but he's been there. And, <laughs> and he had he was pulled into this film and it's it really sucks because it really wasn't a good blip on his timeline. I feel like, um, if we're, if this, if, is this our review section? Because I don't recommend this movie to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) My review is just, you know, if you're going to watch this movie, it's probably because you love saw, which is great. So do we, and the traps can be fun, but they really feel removed from the plot and unsolvable for this group which is really unsatisfying um if you've been watching if you've been following along with saw for the duration of this series so yeah i I, you know if 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 you're into saw watch it if you're not into saw at all like if there's any iota of you that is not interested in this don't watch it. It's really not worth it. <laughs> totally agree. I don't know. It's, I think it's totally legitimate. It's the seventh installment in an eight movie series. Uh, you definitely can't just come into this without having seen previous ones. Despite their best efforts, there are not enough flashbacks to fill you in on everything you would need to know um, in order for this movie to make sense the the plot is dependent on previous movies the plot itself is really thin in some ways the traps are fun like i said this is a really like over the top kind of campy bad movie the dialogue is like so goofy in some places like i don't even think that we covered like all of the best dialogue i think the Ugh. yeah <laughs> i think i think it's um I think it's for diehard fans. I think that yeah. for for me, like I know we're going to do a ranking of these Saw movies at some point. Saw 7 is not at the bottom of my list. Interesting. It's not in the top half of my list, but it's not, <laughs> but it's not at the very bottom. And so I think that that's, that's a positive for it. I think the 3D gimmick um, adds to the campiness. I think that it's... Um, 
not a cult classic, but is approaching a cult classic um, in terms of, you know, if you're just willing to go into it and like, you know, smoke some weed, (laughs) drink some wine while you're watching it and just kind of treat it as like a goofy escape and you've seen all the other ones, that's fine. Um, it's only 90 minutes. I really wish that it had been like a 72 minute movie. Mm -hmm. Um, if there's anything I love more than a 90 minute movie, it's a 72 minute (laughs) horror movie. Um, 72. I think they, there's definitely 18 minutes of Jill and Hoffman that they could have cut. Oh God. I wish (laughs) they had just killed them both off last movie and just had some traps. (laughs) Right. I don't know what else we could have done. I I don't know how you could have fixed this movie, to be honest. I don't know if it would have been better if it had been split into two. There's really no way to know how they would have handled it. Yeah, definitely. So So that's that's Saw 7. That's Saw 7. And it's also Saw 3D. (laughs) And also Saw, the final chapter. The movie of many names, <laughs> special place in our hearts. We love it because we must. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks. See you guys next time. This has been Not Quite Dead. Make sure to check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, you know, if you're feeling a little wild and crazy, why don't you try listening to them out of order? It's not like the Saw movies make sense anyway. Or, you know, listen to them in order, as they were intended. Either way, thanks for listening to our show. Don't get sawed.